Back when I met my wife, we were both in the same class in college. Uh, during that time, I had a girlfriend. This girlfriend well, clearly did not last because I'm married to my current wife now. That was a girlfriend back then. But for the, for the time being, I was, I was seeing somebody else. And uh, this was during uh, the beginning of spring break when we first met. She didn't give me the light of day. She didn't look at me. She didn't, she didn't no bother for me. I thought she was pretty cool. I tried talking to her a little bit, but she doesn't even like remember it. So once class was over, we actually ended up working at the same kids camp together, which was a little weird because uh, we both went to school in Virginia and this kid camp was in Texas. So it was a, it was a little, not weird because this, this school had actually taken in a lot of people from that, that university, but it was still like Kind of like a coincidence, I guess. By this time, I had cut my hair, I had gotten a tan, and I had lost a lot of weight because it was the summer and I was working outside most of the time. And also, I'd become single. Even though we worked at a kid's camp, this camp had three different sections and my current wife and I worked in separate sections. While she was off doing her own thing, I was off doing mine and we only really saw each other twice that summer. Again, I had lost weight, gotten a tan, my hair had been cut, and so I was looking... I was I was looking pretty good, I guess, because she says that she finally paid attention to me. After that, we went back to college, and I figured that was going to really be it. And I was like, okay, cool person. I had no interest really at the time in pursuing a deeper relationship with this person. I was freshly single. To be honest, I'd spent a long time not being single. So I was completely satisfied being where I was and had really no interest in even pursuing a relationship at that time with this person. Both my wife and I don't really believe in love and first sight, but that relationships are built and constructed. I had another, uh, I had another class. One of them was philosophy. And so either in between me going to the library to this philosophy class or from the class before, which I can't remember, to the library, I would run into my future wife a lot. Her name was Kay, is Kay, still Kay. I would run into her and she'd be chilling out with this dude, right? And so they'd be sitting down. She'd be working on like her art project and they'd be like sitting there talking or something. And I thought she was cute. I knew I was single, but I was perfectly fine where I was at. So I was like, you know what? Out of respect for this dude, if he's trying to make like moves on this girl or just build a relationship so that way they can like, you know, develop a further relationship out of respect, I'm just going to stay back. So we became friends that waved at each other. That was it. We just continued to wave. And that was it. It's like, hey, hi. Like that was, that was where we, we were. But I ran into her a lot in between classes. And so eventually I was, I got to, we got towards the end of, end of that semester. And I started going, look, if this dude's going to make his move, he's going to have to do it soon. And eventually I realized this dude isn't making his move. I asked my wife about it later, and they actually had the previous class together, and we're typically just doing homework together. They're like homework buddies, nothing deeper than that, no friendship really or anything. It was just like, hey, you help me with homework, I'll help you with homework. Maybe we'll pass this class, maybe we won't, we'll see what happens. So one day I'm, I'm walking, and I see Kay on the floor with this dude. I go, you know what, let's just see what happens. So I sit down on the floor with them. Uh, they're literally sitting on the floor in the hallway staring at a chair okay and the reason that they were doing that was because her homework for the day was drawing negative space I couldn't tell you what that means now and I definitely could not have told you then like something about drawing the space that isn't there I'm like but that's not there to draw so as she's finishing his homework this dude says bye and I come to a point where I have to make a decision 
I know nothing about this person, but yet I have to choose, do I want to know this person more or not? Do I want to dig deeper into this relationship or not? You kind of see where I'm going considering our last, last podcast. So I eventually was like, you know what? I'm going to get off campus. And so I stood up on my feet and I said the exact same thing. I was like, I want to get off campus. I've been here too long. I'm starting to get a headache. All the walls are starting to look the same. It's driving me crazy. You want to get off campus with me? And she said, yeah. She took my hand and we got into my like, like 2004 Impala, I think it was. And we went to Zaxby's and we got Zaxby's. My treat, actually, was the, technically the federal government's treat because I think I paid with, 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 with um, reimbursements from my loans. But I guess my treat plus interest, I don't know. Eventually, her friend decides to join us. My wife called this our first date. I didn't, I wouldn't call it our first date because I was still trying to figure out if I wanted to even know this person. So it was like definitely like, I don't think this was a date. I think this was more just us trying to figure out who each person was. Well, her friend comes and joins. She's had a rough day, and her exact words were, I want to throw something. Let's go bowling. I didn't break the news to her that bowling doesn't really require throwing. We just went bowling. And we went bowling. It was a fun time. I got to show that I have no skill. Eventually, Kay looks at me and goes, this was fun. I would really like to do this again. Can I have your number so we can do it? And I, again, recently single, decided I just wanted to get to know this person. And I spooked. I was like, well, there's always Facebook. Yeah, uh, mm, not the right answer, by the way. So at this point, if you're listening, you're like, how did this dude get married? And how do you get married to this girl? I still couldn't tell you. But when I figure it out, I'll be sure to spread the word because it evidently worked. I was like, oh, there's always Facebook. We can always connect over Facebook if we want to do this again or something like that. And she's like, oh, okay. And later I would find out she like looked at her best friend or her roommate and was like, this dude's confusing me. I'm getting mixed signals. I think he likes me. Like, I can clearly see it. But there's always Facebook. It's like, oh. So eventually I do end up coming to a point where I have to make a decision. I like this person. I've gotten to know them a little bit more. And I think I might want to know more about them. I've decided, made a decision to get to know them. Now I've gotten to build an infatuation for this person in one way or another, either just for friendship or to go deeper. At this point, it was literally just for friendship. That's all I was looking for at the time. And then I came to a point where I was like, well, do I want to know this person more? And so I had to make a choice. I think we all know where the choice went. I messaged her. I asked for her number. She said, okay. I don't know why she said, okay, and gave me her number. That was a little questionable. I'm not going to lie. But she did give me her number and we ended up building a relationship together. And eventually I, before I'd asked her to marry me, I had told her something else. I told her, um, I looked her dead in the eyes and I was like, I want to get to know you. I don't want to get to know you like, what's your favorite color? I already know that. I don't want to get to know you like, what are your clothes sizes? I don't know that, but and I probably will never be good at remembering it. But I want to get to know you in the way that people who have been married for 60 years get to know each other. 70 years, 80 years. I want to get to know you like them. Like they get to know each other. Like the stuff that I can only learn about you after I've spent 80 years with you. And I think she liked that. I think that's what makes up for there's always Facebook is those moments right there. But the point is that there were multiple periods along the way where I had to decide, am I going to build up the work to get to know this person? 
And then I grew in love with her more. And by doing that, I had to make the decision again, do I want to get to know this person more? A lot of times, that's a lot like reading the Bible. We treat our bi- reading the Bible like a love life because in a certain way it is. Um, and uh, Americans really kind of treat their love life unfairly. We believe in love at first sight. We believe that if it's meant, we'll feel it deep down in our hearts. You can thank Sigmund Freud for that because it's not really anywhere in the Bible. Relationships are hard. And the reason that they're hard is in order to start them, you have to start doing things that you're not quite sure about and even things that you may not like. But eventually, you'll reach this point. My best friend on this earth, I did a podcast with him, Elijah Lane. He didn't like me when we first met. He actually really did not like me. I was kind of loud, kind of obnoxious, but we had one philosophical conversation. We never really stopped that philosophical conversation, like at all. So, and then we ended up just recording it and putting it on the internet. So that's, that's been our relationship. He was not something that happened automatically, but something that, again, we, had to make, we both had to make a decision. It was more a decision on his part than mine because I kind of liked him right off the bat. I was like, this dude's cool. I could be his friend. But we, he had to make a decision early on, am I going to give this dude a try? So that way I can build a relationship with this guy, and then try and get to know him more. And that is now where we are at. We are constantly building that relationship, seeking to get to know each other better, but still building that relationship. That is all relationships. So when it comes to scripture, a lot of times it's really intimidating when you go up to it. You feel like you have to just read it. And to a certain point, you're not wrong. But also, at a certain point, you are wrong. There's a mindset about it that's needed where you're thirsty for it, where you thirst for it, where you, when you go without it, it annoys you. It gnaws you on the inside. If you've ever truly been thirsty, and I have been thirsty, if you've truly ever been thirsty, and I'm not talking about like, you know, you question the water you drink, so you hardly ever drink because you're in a third world country. Like that, that's not what I mean when I say thirsty, but there are times where I've been so dehydrated that it was almost a point where I should have gone to the hospital. I've been thirsty. That is the best feeling to describe when you are thirsty for the word. When you don't get enough of it, it, you feel like you're hollow on the inside, like an indigestion that only really gets satisfied by reading the word and being in that relationship. But that's not something that just happens. You don't just decide, okay, I'm going to be thirsty for scripture. And then you start making up these emotions. This is something that takes time and effort. You have to first come to a moment where you decide, do I want to get to know these scriptures more? This last podcast I did, that's what we were talking about. We were talking about getting to know, to getting into the point where we would start reading scripture. And the first thing I said is you have to have to have to have to have to have a relationship with Jesus and have to be building it through those quiet times with Christ. But another very important step is in order to start reading scripture, you have to just start reading scripture because scripture interprets scripture. You really have to dig into it. This podcast, we're going to dig a little deeper into what that really means. However, Nothing's really going to beat understanding scripture like reading scripture. Scripture translates scripture, and love is built off of this learning. This is why the, the, the Proverbs constantly gives an image of a tree planted by water. It's like the first cha- in the first chapter, and it continues onwards, about a person being thirsty for wisdom like a tree planted near water. The thing about a tree that's planted near water is even during a drought, it's safe. It's going to live. Trees that are not planted near water, they depend solely on the rain. And if there's not enough, they will die. But the ones that are planted near water, when there's a drought, they still remain. It's going to be the same way with scripture. So, 
we're going to get deeper into how to read the Bible. By this point, it's going to be basically just getting down reading the scriptures. I've already, dis- I've already talked about how like it's a really, really foolish idea to try and set a number as far as time. Set it, but if you are dependent upon that, you've turned your Bible reading into a che- check mark. Like I, I told in the last podcast about when I was a kid, I would sit down and read the same passage of scripture and I would like read it once and say, okay, what did that say to me? Literally nothing. I don't even understand what's going on. So I would read it again three times with no understanding and wouldn't come to any better understanding of scripture than when I started. And I would be frustrated with myself because I felt like this was supposed to be a very spiritual moment, but I had nothing. I had turned the scripture reading into wanting to know more about it into nothing more than a checklist because someone told me this is how you get spiritual. This last podcast and this beginning of the podcast, I really want to make it clear that you have to avoid that. Reading the scripture has to come from a heart of curiosity and wanting. It has to come from a desire to pursue more, but it has to also come out of an understanding you've already developed by getting into it. So like it's a prof like you got to really just jump in there and you got to start reading. But you've also got to foster a desire for it. And so like it's just like building that relationship. If I had just been content with only waving to Kay, I would never have married her. There had to come a point where we had to come decision. Am I going to sit down and am I going to get to know this person well enough to fall in love with them? If you do not come to that point, it'll always be a point of just waving and you'll always be waving at scripture just like I was as a kid when I would set 15 minutes aside to read the Bible and I would do nothing about it. I would read it just like I was reading any book. In fact, less than I was reading any book because I wasn't concerned about the words or the teachings in the scripture. I was concerned about about how the Holy Spirit was supposed to do some magic stuff inside my heart. The scriptures teach and the Holy Spirit teaches through scripture. It is good for teaching and reproofing and correcting in all things. Scripture says that. So there needs to be a deeper level when you go past the waving and you move onward into wanting to get to know it more. Eventually gets to the point where you start buying things like Josephus. You start buying things like Bible dictionaries. You start buying the Talmud because you want to know what the laws were like back during Jesus's time. You start buying scholars enhanced translations of the scriptures, which are crazy. These things are nuts. And you start just really digging in and digging deeper. It all has to come out of curiosity. You don't just go out and buy it. You have to come from a curiosity and a desire to know. So today we're going to get actually into just the reading of the scriptures. Before we get crazy, we're going to start off with just reading the Bible because that is the most crucial part. In a lot of ways, reading the Bible is a lot like just reading any other historical document in that you have to have certain practices that are going to be similar to like if you were reading Homer as a scholar. So there's going to be a certain practices that come down to understanding literature, literature of our time and their time and how it works. There are going to be certain practices that come down to understanding context because the apostles were teaching and they were preaching, but they were teaching and preaching to a people. And if you believe that you can ignore the people that were being preached to and teach to, you are telling the spirit what it is allowed to say and not to say to you. You are putting up your hands and you are informing the Holy Spirit, my spirituality is good enough on its own. I don't need you to teach me. I just need you to confirm what I told you I believe. Instead, you must seek out 
what these people who were being taught to said, and so forth. This is what we're looking at when we start reading script. We're not going to do that this podcast. But this is what I mean when I say we're going to get into how to read the Bible. We're going to start little by little. And once you feel like you understand one podcast, we can move on to the next. I don't want to just throw all this on you. I want to try and set this up to where if you have to wait a few months before you can get into the next podcast, go for it. But these are some some markers to tell you that you're kind of getting what we're going through. And I'm really trying to start slow before we get crazy. And there's going to be a lot of things you can rely upon outside of me along the way. Now, before we dive in, a book I really want to shout out to is going to be Grasping God's Word. They have lots of different variations of this book for anything from you just kind of want to read it. And so they got a little like little little bitty book to you want to do this in church. They've got a workbook that you can write in with other people. And then you've got like scholastic level studies. They've got everything in between. Grasping God's Word, um, J. Scott Duvall and J. Daniel Hayes. However, this is a very good book for or series or, or group of books that are for if you want to really get into reading scripture. However, a lot of it is going to be just understanding how to read old books. There's going to be a lot of practices in there that are going to sound a lot that are going to sound very similar to stuff you had to do in high school for literary studies. Really, it's just going to come down to like good reading practices and that stuff that there's a lot of good resources for as well. So if you just want to take like a YouTube tutorial on how to study old books like that could help a lot don't hold back from that but i also heavily encourage grasping god's word because it's oriented specifically to the scriptures and they actually have a really easy process for being able to understand the word that i'm not going to use in my podcast because that's theirs and they have all rights to that and i don't want to like even for a second pretend that that's something on my part we're just going to go through kind of what i what i uh, try and keep in mind when I study the scriptures and I'm really in depth, but but kind of like level by level. And but that is a good book to go study. Please go buy it. It's a fantastic book. I suggest it to anybody who ever displays a concern or interest in wanting to study scripture more. So the first thing that we are going to do in the reading of the scriptures is going to be read big. You've decided that you want to read a book. It's time to read big. We're going to read big and then we're going to read small. What do I mean by read big? What I mean by read big is you're going to go through the whole entire first chapter. Moment of pause for effect. So you are going to go through the first chapter. It's a lot easier than it sounds for multiple reasons. This is where I'm going to kind of go off on a rant. I've already gone off on enough, but we're going to go on on another one real quick. The thing about the scriptures is that the scriptures weren't meant to be read. The reason that a lot of times you are told to read scripture either in church or you were told to read scripture and your private Bible study life is because it's printed to you now. So you should go and try and develop your own scholastic understanding of the scriptures. And I am not negating. I support that. I wouldn't do this podcast series if I didn't think that it's important for you to read the Bible as often and as in depth as you can afford. If you could do it daily. For a few hours, please do. The scriptures weren't really meant to be read because most people, when the scriptures were written, they weren't literate. They couldn't have read the Bible themselves. A lot of them were. Most of them weren't. So the scriptures, and then also there's another fact that the publishing books was incredibly expensive back then. I read a short story by Washington Irving where he held a conversation with an old book. And one thing that he said to this old book was that he was so excited because it has just became 
with the printing press, it has become so easy for anybody to be a well-published author. That was before we had things like home printers, where you could literally print your own book at home, though it would be atrocious, you could still do it. Or online platforms where you can publish short stories from your phone. Washington Irving had no clue that that was going to happen, but his excitement should have been amplified. Because of these technological advancements, we can publish things quite easily and quickly. Back then, it was very long and expensive process to make a book. It all had to be written by hand by professionals who knew what they were doing to prevent risk of errors being written. For the most part, only very important locations had access to books and only very important people were permitted to read them. Because of this, the scriptures were not written so that way everybody could be able to read them. They were actually written so everyone could hear them and listen to them. I listened, I read the, I read a book, um, it was called Mere Christianity. I don't know why it was hard for me to think about that name, but I read Mere Christianity by uh, C.S. Lewis. And as I habitually avoid, I actually did this time read the preface of the book and C.S. Lewis was actually talking about how this was originally a radio broadcast and he had turned it into a book. He said that there was a few things he had to change because there's a big difference between when you speak and when you write. And that is going to be why it's an important detail to understand that the scriptures weren't written. They were spoken. And because of this, there are certain things that are going to be only easier to understand by listening to it. For this first section, what I would encourage doing is download an app. My favorite is the Blue Letter Bible app because it not only can it read to you, but you can get multiple translations in one screen and they have fantastic resources for if you want to research words. We'll get to that at a later podcast. But you can download this, you can download the Bible app. There's a lot of apps that can can do this for you, but you basically can have it just read the whole entire chapter to you. you. They'll do it pretty much podcast style. You hit play and you can close your screen and put it, the phone in your pocket and listen to them as they talk out the Bible. And that was actually a lot closer to how the Bible was originally meant to be read rather than just having everybody read it. So there's that one big detail. You need to read the whole Bible in one sitting. Let me repeat that. You need to read the whole Bible in one sitting. When I start a project, which depending upon the need, I'll do certain projects much in depth than others. Passage in James that really piqued my interest. So what do I do first? The first thing you do, you bust out James and you read it all in one sitting, either verbally uh, by, by podcast or literally by reading it. But you read the whole book in one sitting. There are some books that are exempted from this. You got Proverbs and Psalms. Both of these are sayings that were collected. These are not whole entire books written together, but rather collections of sayings. So like Psalms, don't do Psalms. Psalms is wallen. If you're going to study like half of a chapter of Psalms, read the whole chapter. And if there's parts of Psalms that are supposed to be kept together, then do that. <laughs> read that all together. However, for the most part, Psalms and Proverbs are some of the books that can be exempted because they're a collection of sayings versus a whole entire story. There are other books that, of course, can fall into this category and be exempted. Several minor prophets probably could. But for the most part, uh, you want to sit down in one sitting and read the whole book one way or another. When you do this, you are looking for themes, large themes. You want to get the big picture of the book. What is the point of the book? What are they saying? And you want to get 
themes. Again, like I said, the Bible was meant to be listened to, not read. So what's really cool is that a lot of the times these books were actually meant to have what what I call bookends. Uh, There will be themes that you'll start seeing. And there's typically a big event that will mark a theme. And then everything in bet- uh, from here to the end book uh, bookend is going to have the same theme. And then there's going to be another big event that correlates with the first one. And that's going to happen a lot in the Bible. As you're listening, you'll start hearing these bookends and you go, oh, the author meant for this to be a section and the point was this. I really see that a lot myself in the Gospels. If you see Jesus mention a tree once, he'll keep talking about trees until all of a sudden he reached another tree. And this is good. Again, this is the authors trying to read these, write these books in a way that the people can listen to. They are not changing history. They are not changing facts. They are simply writing it in a way that it can be comprehended. Um, oral tradition influences this in a very positive and powerful way, that what is true is harder to forget. A lot of you, if someone tries to use this to be like, oh, look, the, Bible's, the Bible was forged, that's a bunch of baloney. That's really just the best way to pass history down from one person to another. I once was, while I was in college, I had a professor drop a truth bomb on me that a lot of these authors didn't write the Bible chronologically because chronologically wasn't a concept until the modern age with the modern printing press when everybody could read. Instead, most of these stories were written with a mixture of chronologically and topically. So they would be in order and they wouldn't necessarily be out of order. However, they were written with the events kind of compounded into similar uh, scenarios so as to teach you in a way where you could understand and remember. So it was not an unfaithful keeping to history. It was simply a much more fluid way of viewing history. History has always been fluid. One of the reasons for that is because history isn't the facts that have happened in the past. We often tell ourselves that is history. If that was true, we'd have to get rid of every history book to ever exist because we cannot know what has happened in the past. We only know the perspectives of the people who have written what has happened in the past. This is very important. This is a very important detail because that turns history from something solid to something liquid. And that doesn't mean that what happened in your history books isn't true. In fact, more so, it validates that it was true because there were people to observe it and then they kept record of it. And if you were to demand something different, I would actually be more concerned because if something, someone simply wrote down the facts and said this is an event in history and history simply keeping track of what happened in the past, then it would be very clear that this history was kept without the humans involved. And if that's the case, you don't have history. You don't have what happened in the past. You simply have an unfaithful keeping. I think that including humans in the way they understood what they were going through is one of the most crucial parts of history is what I'm trying to get to. And that's what, I, that's what you're seeing here. I probably should find a much clearer way of presenting that. But basically what I'm trying to say is that because you can understand it orally because the themes are put together does not necessarily mean that the timeline was west messed with. And it does not mean that this is a forgery. In fact, it proves otherwise. And it proves we can believe this and be faithful in this. Because back then, they put the effort in to make sure they remembered history, remembered it accurately, and remembered it in such a way that they remembered who they were. Uh, While we're looking for our bookends, we also want to look for recurring images. For example, Mount Sinai. God came upon Mount Sinai. What was involved with God coming down upon Mount Sinai? Well, there was a wind. Okay, what else? 
Where's fire? Anything else? There's a speaking in tongues. Okay, anything else? There was an earthquake. Okay, um, what about it? What happened when God f- uh, filled his presence in the temple? Cloud came down. Wind, fire, speaking in tongues. What about Pentecost? See, these themes are constantly uh, recurring, and because of this, the author wants you to know that this is important, and this is important in this relation for this reason. So when you see a recurring theme, you really want to, t- to, to tick it off in your head. You really want to try and keep record of it because this is the author trying to convey to you the importance of what's going on. The author of the Bible, because he knows he's writing mostly to listeners, is going to use themes and images and that will recur and keep recurring in order to help you remember this and why it's important and how it applies to the situation. Humans today still very much do this. I had uh, worked in an office that constantly had to send a reminder out to the workers in the office that just because something has been emboldened and put in red does not necessarily mean it's a threat or that anyone's in danger. It was actually done so you could see it quicker because we worked on phones. So it was like you don't have time to just look around for something possibly that would embolden red in something that was important so it'd be quicker for you to see it. However, because we are who we are, uh, when we look at red colored letters, what we instead see is a mark of punishment because teachers would typically use red pens and so forth. And so red has always been condoned with a bad feeling, either anger or punishment or wrath. So because of this, when we would see that, because it was a recurring theme, we would take every single thing that we had attached to that theme and pin it here. And that was not such the case. Probably should have chosen a different color. The bold was fine. It was the color that was the issue. But we do this ourselves with color. And by that, I mean like, you know, the red reference. Don't get me in trouble. Anyway, we do this with logos. You see that Disney, that Disney D? And you know you're in for a magical time. We do this all the time. Recurring themes have attached emotions. The authors are doing the same thing. So as you're listening, watch out for recurring themes. And be sure to try and catch the current of thought that's going on. For example, Acts. In Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke and Acts were written together by a dude named Luke. If you read them very carefully, you'll notice a theme. That no matter what has been said, no matter the rumors that have been spread, no matter what people believe, the church has not broken a single law. And it remains an effort to avoid breaking the law. Why was this important? Because Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts would have been written around the time that Paul would have been in the custody of Caesar. And so Luke would have been writing this to hopefully try and stem the tide of anti-Christian uh, narrative that would be going on in Rome at that time. After Caesar burned down Rome, Rome had nothing but bad Christian narrative. So Luke had his work cut out for him. So the Gospel of Luke and the writing of Acts have been in reply to this this narrative. If you read Luke and Acts, you will catch that theme. There are multiple other themes going on in Luke and Acts, but that is again one of them. As you're listening and you're reading, you're reading big and you're listening big to the whole chapter, try and find a current of thought that'll be going on um, in the Pentateuch. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, 
you'll you'll see another other themes that are going on. A lot of them are going to be related to Egyptians. The reason for this, because all those books are written under Moses after the Israelites had left Egypt under the command of the Holy Spirit. So you'll see a lot of themes in that as well. As you're reading big and you're reading through a whole entire chapter, be keeping your eyes out for these things. Don't, at this point, say this cautiously, don't make it the biggest point to try and pay attention to the littlest detail. Instead, pay attention to the big picture and try and understand what, is, what people would have been trying to say to a listener. As we're reading big, I also want to leave a suggestion. Now might be a good time to be looking at extra biblical sources. And by that, I don't mean trying to like go get the works of Cicero or something. I don't, I don't think Cicero's right. But anyway, um, I'm not sure that's the right reference I mean. But don't, I'm not talking about trying to get extra biblical sources such as a history book on Rome. What I am talking about is getting a Bible handbook. I personally use the Baker Bible handbook. I like it a lot, but I would encourage getting a handbook. I was at church. Uh, my pastor is trying to encourage people not just to read the Bible, but also to try and read in-depthly into the Bible. And one thing he stated was that now this generation more than ever has access to both good and also free resources, such as I said earlier, the Blue Letter Bible. I did not necessarily enjoy that statement because these things are hard to use. Bible dictionaries, for one, concordances. You have handbooks. Uh, you have topical Bibles. Topical Bibles are a beast, by the way. Uh, you have all of these references and resources that are incredibly hard to use. No one will really understand how to use them without it. I never understood. At this point, um, I had grown past... By the time I got to college, I'd grown past my phase of not really caring to understand what the Bible was saying uh, and only spending that time trying to feel spiritual. And I had grown into, thanks to the very good guidance by very wise men, I had grown into a love and appreciation for reading the Bible. I still had no clue how to use a concordance. And no one bothered to teach me until I got to college, where a professor literally sat us down, told us to open a concordance and walked us through the process. And let me tell you, it's way more in depth than any person would think. So real quickly, I'm gonna give an introduction to the handbook, how it works. We're gonna talk about reading small for only like five seconds. Let me bust out my Baker handbook. It's blue, it's got a blue cover, where it has lots of pictures. I love that because the difference from letters to pictures is the difference from thinking about a world far away to being in it. So. A good handbook will have pictures, uh, but when you get a handbook and you open it up, one of the first things it's going to tell you is who wrote it and what's going on at the time when it was written. That is so important. For example, we have right here Jeremiah. It says often Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. That gives you a lot of context right there. Why is he called the weeping prophet? I can tell you without reading the book, the reason he was called the weeping prophet was because the only thing he really prophesied was the downfall of Jerusalem. And he was one of the only prophets to actually see what he prophesied. He prophesied that Israel was going to fall to the ground. And he watched it happen. He literally had to be dragged away by his friends to Egypt to avoid being captured by their invaders. And then he wrote the book of Lamentations. After that, you're going to start looking at things like getting the setting of when the book was written. When was Jeremiah written? And then who was the audience? They'll also tell you who the audience is and why these are important, how they should influence your writing. These are basic things to understand the general themes, but we haven't heard an actual thing about 
breaking down why did Jesus say what he said when he said this in the gospel? Why did Jeremiah say this when he was saying this? Handbooks aren't going to give you that. These are actually not good resources to do in-depth studies of one chapter. These instead are good books for getting overviews. What will happen after that is you'll get the, the heart of the, con- of the context of the book. Uh, if it's a good handbook, it's going to break down the passage you're reading, not chapter by chapter, but section by section. When chapters were written in the Bible, they were written by mathematics more than they were by context and a lot more than what was going on in the passage. So a lot of stories are actually cut in the middle by a chapter. And so if you were reading chapter by chapter, there's quite a lot of times where you'd only stop in the middle of a story. If you get a good handbook, what they're going to do is they're going to go section by section, bookend by bookend, and then they'll tell you where that starts and where that ends. And very rarely does it start and end at the beginning of a chapter. (laughs) One thing that the Baker Handbook includes is it tells you what's unique about this book, and then they'll tell you the passages, the messages of the book. Again, nothing in depth. They're just giving you an overview. There'll be pictures, there'll be other references such as articles, the really small articles to help give a little bit more in-depth understanding of the passage. But for the most part, you're going to get general sweeping overviews of what you are listening to or reading, depending upon however you're doing big. This is when you're going to want to start considering getting a handbook because that information about the background is going to be so crucial in understanding what you are listening to or reading, but also having it broken down for you can help you kind of create a battle plan for how you're going to read small. And then also, the additional information will be very helpful in getting an understanding of how to find those little grooves of, in, of, of context. I like, remember how I was saying find the flow of the passage is going to help you find that flow. In fact, scholars have, who have studied these passages for their whole life will write down what they know of the flow. So it's kind of like trying to take a test with the cheat right in front of you, but nothing's going to beat it. Get a handbook. So when you get a handbook, the first thing that you're going to do before you even listen is open it up to that passage, figure out who wrote it, figure out who the, right, who the audience that the person wrote it to was, and figure out what was going on at that time. Next, try and listen to it or sit down and read the whole passage, and then after that, go back to your handbook and see how the, the scholar has broken the passage apart. As since you've already listened to it, when he starts saying things uh, like this passage is in reference to this, or this passage is about this, You'll hopefully kind of understand already what he's saying. If not, that's fine. We'll, t- we'll take care of that in the long run. Uh, if, you're ta- if you like to take notes when you read the Bible, which I definitely encourage you to do, otherwise it's going to be like the most confusing process, try and write down the, how the scholar breaks this apart. I've completely disagreed with certain scholars when I've broken down how I saw the chapter uh, or how I've seen the passage and then how they saw the passage. I was like, no, this section needs to go down another two or three three verses. I couldn't tell you right now, but there have been those scenarios. However, writing that down and using that as a background for battle plans on how you're going to approach this passage is a fantastic idea. Now, when we get to reading small, we're going to start talking about reading chapter by chapter. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that. I do not encourage you to wait to listen to the next podcast before reading small. Like as soon as you are done listening, dive into reading small. Don't hold back. Because this whole entire process is going to be built upon reading scripture. So if you take a break, you're literally setting yourself back. All right. So as soon as you're done, get into reading small. 
What should you do in reading small? Remember how we broke down section by section? Go ahead and go into your handbook and spend one whole day of Bible study just reading out what the scholars have said about that section. It'll give you a lot more background and you're going to be a lot more equipped to understand what's going on at that time. Context is king. There are a lot of things that are said and done in the Old and New Testament that make no sense to us unless we have this context. So context is king. Don't feel pressured to read a whole entire section. Don't feel pressured to read a whole entire chapter. If you feel like you have too much on your plate with seven verses, do seven verses. Do enough at a time to where you are truly feeling like you are pursuing the scriptures. Don't push yourself to have to meet a quota. If you want to read the Bible in a year, do it. Understand that you're not going to get maybe the most out of it. I'm not against that. However, when we're doing this the way Nathan suggests doing this, read it at your own pace. That's a, that's, that's a commodity that you get to take advantage of now because you can buy a Bible off a shelf. That's, a, that's something that the earth has known less of having than most. You've probably had that opportunity your whole life. Most of the earth has never had that chance. Both in history and the fact that that's actually very rare today upon the earth. It's just available in first world countries such as ours. Because I'm assuming you're in a first world country because you're listening to a podcast. Like, I'm making an assumption there. You may be in a third world country. That's great. It's going to be really hard to read the Bible. Read it when you can, as much as you can. Uh, but since we have Bibles of plenty and easy access to reading it, don't rush yourself too much. Dig into the scriptures. And if you find something that digging into this means it takes you like an hour to do a verse, do that. I've had those where I read like three verses and it took me down a study and rabbit trail to understand this text. And it took hours to understand it. And it was great. I felt so good about what I had studied, and I had learned so much about God. I had learned so much about myself through it, and it was literally only three verses and a lot, a lot of diligent study. We'll get into that a little bit later, but don't make a quota and feel like you have to meet it. The Holy Spirit isn't going to be mad because you decided to dedicate a lot more time to reading his word the way it needed to, rather than meeting the quota of reading more scripture in less time. Trust me. <laughs> God wants to know you. He doesn't want you. Literally, there are passages of scriptures where God told the Israelites to forget about the sacrifices he demanded because he'd rather have them live the way he demanded. So focus more on getting that straight. And then read a few times. When you get to reading small, when you read a passage, this is also one of the reasons why I was like, don't read a whole chapter because you're going to read it multiple times. What's interesting about reading a passage multiple times, especially if you're underlining and highlighting words, is that as you continue to read, you will discover more and more about the passage. Again, this is an opportunity that you get in a first world country. This is not something that even the Israelites really got to take an advantage of. But as you read the passage over and over again, you'll discover more and more about the passage as you become more and more familiar with it. There is a special little rare literary device called a, um, called a capstone. It's a very cool little literary device we can talk about later. Uh, but one time I was reading a passage in 1 Corinthians and I read it passage once. I read it twice. I read it third time, the third time. And it wasn't until the third time when I realized that Paul was using this capstone. That's very important because it unifies and ties everything that Paul is saying together so that things that if you took them separately, it would have sounded not weird, but it would have been inconclusive. You wouldn't have reached the result that when you put them all together, 
you get a very powerful impact on one good point versus a confusion on many different ones, if that makes sense. That's how a capstone works. It's multiple phrases all tied and unified together to where they're leaning on each other. That's how a capstone is, 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 is built. Um, the, the, the ancient Greeks, they wouldn't use mortar when they put things together. They actually used gravity. And one of the ways they did that was through this capstone. They mostly would put all the, the, they would stack the stones to where all the weight was falling on one stone called a capstone. Likewise, one thing Paul would do is he would write a lot of phrases, but all their weight would be focused on one detail, the capstone. And it could be very simple, such as uh, statement A, statement B, but God is king, statement C, and statement D. And all statements are reliant upon one, that God is king, so that all the rest can happen. You will be prosperous. You have, no, you have nothing to fear in death. You have a future hope. There is a prosperity for your soul today because God is king. And that capstone is God is king. It's typically in the middle. And it's like actual proper literature. It's not like said like that. It's actual like convert, like someone's talking. It's all dependent upon that one. I almost missed that because sometimes it can be really nonchalant if you don't know what you're doing or you're not paying attention or you just don't speak Greek such as me. It's real easy to miss. So I almost missed it until I read it the third time and went, oh my goodness, this is a capstone phrase and it put everything together. It put the whole picture together. It was beautiful. Let me tell you, it was gorgeous. Anyway, read the passage a few times. You'll discover more and more as you go through it, especially since it's kind of just how the human brain works. When we read it once, we kind of understand, but our, fate, our eyes are really only looking to read. The, the way that the mind works is it looks for key images. It looks for key shapes to tell us what the word means. You typically don't read the whole word. You'll only read the beginning few and the last few letters of bigger words. You'll kind of ignore everything else. When you read it the first time, that's, gonna what you're, that's what you're going to be doing. When you read it the second time, you're going to go for whole entire words, whole entire pictures. You're going to get a better grasp on what the actual images are on the page. The third time, you're actually going to piece together meanings and intentions. And you're going to see threads in the passage. You're going to see threads of thought that the apostles used to, tie together, to weave together this tapestry you're now looking at. That's why I say you should read the passage about three times. And that's why I say you shouldn't read a whole chapter. It's crazy. All right. It's nuts. Imagine reading the whole passage of scripture three times in a row and you still haven't even gotten to the actual studying yet. It takes like five to ten minutes to read a chapter, uh, a chapter of scripture, if I remember correctly. And if you do that three times, you're looking at possibly 30 minutes of an hour long study. And now you've got 30. Trust me, 30 minutes is not enough time to do the type of studying I want to help encourage us to do today. Anywho. As we look to going into the future, we're going to start looking at digging deeper into what I was mentioning earlier, just good practices of literature and study and history to better understand scripture. Hopefully with this, I'll get to spread more facts about the Bible and its background. But for the most part, we're going to be looking at digging deeper and getting a clearer image of what's going on in that passage. So definitely be sure to stay tuned. I hope to get really deep into scripture to the point where you are like breaking down words. Again, I will say it a thousand times. I will not, no, we are not parsing. All right. If you don't know what parsing is, Google it. I, we will not do that on this podcast. That is crazy. That is some crazy stuff. If, if y'all want to know, I will go back into that world. I haven't parsed in so long. <laughs> oh my gosh.